Well, we'll see if there's room at the table for the pastor's notes, <laughs> such as they are. Uh, good morning. I'm so glad to be here. I look at a lot of people that I met when you, you were 18 years old, <laughs> and you haven't changed a bit. You know, we, that's a pleasant fiction, but you have in so many good ways, and I'm so grateful to uh, be able to preach here this morning uh, with my pastor, <laughs> Jim Brown, and uh, so many of you are just a big part of my life and my family. Well, uh, I want to jump in, and I want to tell you what I'm going to preach on, and I'm going to say it er up front early, and then I'm going to kind of, you know, riff on it and, and develop it and that kind of stuff, but in case it, it, when we get to the end of this, remember what I said at the beginning, if it's not clear, what was he talking about? Uh, this is what I'm going to talk about. This morning, I want to make the case for prayer as one of the few central and really radical things the church does. In a way, I'm going to be kind of a, an attorney in a way, just arguing a point here. And I'm going to just make the case for prayer as central and radical in the work of the church. So whatever else I say, just know I'm trying to develop that. Uh, central. It's not everything we're supposed to do. Just as the hub of a wheel is not the whole wheel. But if there's no hub, the spokes aren't very useful. And the, uh, the rim is not very useful. So prayer is central in that sense. There, there's not many things we do that just have to be done for the rest of the thing to work. But that, that's, prayer is one of them. It's not all, but it's central. And uh, Radical. From the Latin radix, which means root. And much of what we do in this life is, well, it's not radical. We, it, it's good. I mean, we, we live in, a, in a, a, a good creation and in a world. And we, you know, there's, there's getting up in the morning and going to bed at night. There's all these very you know, normal kind of day-to-day -day activities. But how many things do we do that are truly radical? They get beneath the surface, and they really get to what's behind it all, what's, what's at the heart of it. But prayer is one of those. And there aren't many things that are truly radical. Theologian David Wells said, uh, Prayer is the ultimate interference with the status quo. And that's what I want to argue this morning. It's radical in this sense. Uh, it, it brings about change that is at the root of what's wrong and what needs help in this world. So that's what I want to do this morning is make the case for the centrality and the radicality of prayer. That's what I believe. Now, the, the big question is, does Jesus believe that? And I believe he does. And that takes us to our text this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And if you want to turn to that passage, go ahead and do it, but just listen to it, and then you can look back in it as I develop this passage. But Luke 18, 1 to 8, begins with Luke saying this about what he's going to tell us about what Jesus said. Uh, he said, uh, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, that's, I just find that really cute. That's amusing. Jesus is, Luke is saying, you know, I mean, it may not be clear to you what he meant by this parable, but in case it's not, I want you to know what he meant when he told it. And so Luke says, this is the point. And then he tells the parable. 
And again, I could, I could spend some time on this. I mean, I, do you ever get the sense that the disciples are getting a little impatient with these stories? Um, they're not really sermon illustrations. Sermon illustrations are really accessible and, and they, they kind of liven the whole thing. But these parables, you know, they're hard. And, and sometimes you kind of, I get the feeling that maybe Luke was one of them uh, as he heard them. Oh, I, I, would you just come out and say it and not tell a story? Well, whatever he meant. He said, I want you to know this is what he meant when he told the story. So here comes the parable. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was in that town a widow who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, for some time, the judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Then Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay. And in a few deft strokes, Jesus describes the world we live in. Uh, on the one hand, there's this judge. Uh, in the ancient Middle East, the judge uh, had a lot of power, and he would decide what was right, what was wrong, and whether or not anything could be done about it. And this judge, with all this power, has the worst possible combination of qualities. He has raw power, but it's callous. He doesn't care. He didn't care what you think. He didn't care what God thinks. He's, I'm the judge. And there's this widow. I mean, she is the embodiment of weakness. Uh, there's no social safety net here. She's on her own, and somebody is oppressing her, and the only person who can help her is the judge, and he doesn't want to. But what does she do? She pesters him. She bugs him. She keeps coming at him. It's our world. Raw, callous power, weakness on the other side. Now, I went to college in the 60s, and uh, I see a few people here who no doubt went to college in the 40s. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> shut up. Uh, <laughs> but you, you remember the Disney character Bambi? You know, like that cute little lamb, uh, not lamb, that cute little de uh, doe or deer or whatever. You know, Bambi was, it, it, it's just so sweet. And th there was this cartoon short that came out in the 60s. Uh, and it was very short because it, it, this title was Bambi Meets Godzilla. You know, Godzilla is the big beast, the big you know, monster. And uh, as I said, this is a short you know, cartoon because uh, Bambi's grazing in the meadow, you know, butterflies flitting around and Beethoven's six playing in the background. And uh, uh, then a shadow comes across the meadow and here's this big monster and its big claw comes out and squashes Bambi. And the credits start running. Now, in the 60s, we knew what that meant. I mean, uh, Godzilla's the man. 
Godzilla's the military-industrial complex. Godzilla, you know, is big business, whatever. And then Bambi's the rest of us. And, and, and in this world, the Bambies, the, the, the widows, the weak, they get, they get squashed. That's just the way things are. But there's a surprise ending to our Lord's parable. She pesters him, and the judge finally caves in. I've always pictured this judge as Marlon Brando in the Godfather movies. You know? <laughs> oh, I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what she thinks. Yeah, hey, whatever. That helps me with the parable anyway. But <laughs> Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Now, a quick word about parables. Parables are short stories Jesus tells, usually to make a point by comparison or by contrast. Here the, the point is made by contrast. Uh, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And in the Bible, justice is a big word. It's not just getting uh, your due or what's fair, but justice is all that happens when God sits on the throne, when God is ruling. It's, it's a big idea. Will not God bring about justice to his chosen ones, the Bambis, the widows, the weak, who keep crying out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice quickly. However, there's this haunting question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith or faithfulness on the earth? About prayer. Will he find people praying for justice? Crying out day and night. And there's, a, there's an implicit question in here, too, I think. Uh, which is crazier, this widow who won't be turned back by a person who doesn't want to help, or God's people who have been given every assurance that God will help, but who don't keep coming to him and asking for help, asking for justice. So, does Jesus think prayer is radical? A, a, an ultimate interference with the status quo. He certainly does. Now, that's my sermon. The rest of it, I'm going to riff on this. I'm going to just tell you why I think our Lord makes this point. Reason number one is because the struggle we're in is a spiritual struggle. The struggle is spiritual. Now, I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul. He says, uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then he says what our struggle is. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And for Paul, flesh and blood is a shorthand for the, the things that are accessible to our five senses. The things we can taste, touch, hear, smell, and see. He says, our struggle is not against that, but against, and then he has this list of descriptive words, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where the struggle is. So put on the armor of God. Things like the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the, the belt of truth, you know, things like that. And you, know, you think, yeah, 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 but how on earth do you put on the full armor of God? Well, you get to the end of this passage. Paul says, praying in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
God is the armor. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. You, O Lord, are a shield around me. You lift up my head. Yeah. We put on the armor with prayer. Because the battle is spiritual. To not fight the battle with spiritual weapons is like hunting a lion with a squirt gun. We just don't have what we need to do this. My, my first boss and mentor, uh, great man, and uh, when he was retiring, and I look back on that with ruefully because I just retired, and uh, I was teasing him about retiring. I said, oh, Louis, you know you're retiring. You're going to just go out and sip you know, lemonade somewhere or whatever. And uh, So what, what would you say to people like me who are still in the thick of it? And, uh, and give me your best advice. And he, he told me a couple of things I, that really helped me. But the first one that he said, and this is what I want to just touch on, he, he, we were having dinner, so he's eating, you know, and he just said, well, and he looked up and said, don't take it personally, and went back to his food. And I said, well, don't take what personally? Well, don't take it personally when it's hard, when it's tough. Then I thought, yeah. I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a war, right? It goes with the territory. The soldier gets shot at. He doesn't look over the foxhole and say, was it something I said? You know. <laughs> no, it goes with the territory. I... The only sports I was any good at were contact sports, and the idea was to knock somebody down or get knocked down. You just did that. Well, we're in a war. And it is, it is more vicious and more farther reaching than any other war we fight. It's the war for people's souls. It's for the, the righteousness of God. So we pray. It's, it's the spiritual weaponry. There's the word of God, and there's prayer, and, then, and there's things to do, but we pray. Now, if we don't pray, we miss it. Now, okay, I, I, I wasn't taught much about how to pray growing up and in the churches I went to, and I was taught nothing about prayer in my seminary. That's just my seminary. Uh, but I remember, you know, thinking, well, I'd read, I read the Bible, and I, I'd heard stuff like this, and I went to hear a, a man lecture uh, at a Christian conference center out in California named J. Edwin Orr. Uh, Orr had uh, two doctorates from Oxford, uh, and he, his expertise was in uh, spiritual awakenings in history, particularly among students in colleges and universities. And I was 19 years old, and I heard these stories of how students, I mean, just students, uh, were, were faced with intractable evil and hostility against the gospel and who prayed. And they did more than pray, but again, uh, you, you can do more than pray when you pray. Unless you pray, you won't get beyond that. And so they began to pray, and I heard these stories about them going up and praying and laying hold on God, and I, I was so impressed with it. I heard, and I thought I was impressed by how long they prayed. And I, I remember going back to my, my friends, uh, and we were working in Young Life as an evangelistic outreach, the high school kids, and, and I said, you know, I told them these stories about how students prayed and they, they laid hold on God and God did marvelous things. And, and I said, let's, let's start praying. Let's pray for two hours. 
And uh, one of the guys, uh, we're all students, but he worked, had a part-time job in a church. And uh, so he went to the pastor and said, well, you know, I had a key to the church. Could we just use the church some night for prayer? Well, well we did, but it just worked out. I, I think it's kind of symbolic of some things, but I won't go there. Uh, every room in the church building was filled with meetings, but they weren't prayer meetings. Okay, nothing more. I'll just leave it there. And the only place we could find to pray was a janitor's closet. It was a big one. But I can still remember the, uh, the smell of disinfectant when we went into this room. And there were four of us. We're going to pray for two hours for, for, the, for the high school campus, for the salvation of young people, for, uh, you know, for the kingdom to come. And, and so we got down and we prayed our hearts out. Uh, we prayed for every person, every situation we could think of. We prayed and prayed. We exhausted ourselves in prayer. And I looked at my watch, and 15 minutes had passed. <laughs> that was the longest hour and 45 minutes I ever spent doing something. But it, but it, but it struck me with how little I was out prepared and taught. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, who was a great preacher, he uh, he said, I would rather learn how to pray than preach. Because Jesus never asked his, I mean, Jesus' disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to preach. But they did say, teach us how to pray. I found out when I tried to pray, there wasn't much in me to pray about or to come out of my heart. And my whole life since then, and this happened uh, more than 30 years ago, has been growth in prayer. And I'll come back to that as I think about Hope College and what we saw here in the 90s, and are seeing to this day. But why does Jesus say prayer is so important? Because this is a spiritual battle, and we need to fight it with spiritual weapons. Well, second reason. Jesus builds the church. Not you or me. Okay, he employs us in his work. But Jesus builds the church. So when Jesus asked his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And, and remember, they, they were giving out kind of the current you know, opinion about this, this prophet from Nazareth. And, and uh, I saw a really great cartoon of this. Uh, and then he said, well, who do you say I am? And it's a picture of a crowd of the disciples standing there thinking. And, and, and Peter's in the back row, you know, with his hand up. <laughs> they said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And then pay close attention to what the Lord said. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. There's that flesh and blood term again. This was not because of what you accessed by your five senses. My Father in heaven revealed it to you, who I am. In other words, Peter didn't kind of look at all the evidence, all the things Jesus said and did, and just, oh, Son of God. Well, it was a miracle that Peter got that. And my friends, it's a miracle when anyone gets it. It's the power of God. Then Jesus said, flesh and blood not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, and I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, at this point, for many years, I, I, I missed the rest of the statement. I just got, I got up to on this rock, and I was already in a mental argument with Roman Catholics because Peter's not the rock, you know, whatever. But I missed the best part. I will build 
my church. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. Oh. That's why we pray. Uh, question. Uh, who ran the universe while you slept last night? I did. If you're like me, I get up every morning, have some strong coffee, I hit the ground running, I'm going to go out and make something happen. But frankly, and this is true of all of us, I show up for work every day late. Because the master's been doing it. And what, what hubris makes me think I'm going to go make something happen? No, I, I, I go to the master and I find out what he's doing and I agree with him in prayer. And I ask him to have his will done in me. Well, he builds the church. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants rest to those he loves. So he tells us to pray. Yeah, because he builds the church. That must mean then that prayer actually contributes to the work. So often I pray, Lord, help me to do something for you. When it really should be, Lord, help me to do something with you. In your name. Wow. That, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? That he builds the church. I, uh, well, it's hard to build the church. In fact, it's impossible to build the church unless the Lord is the builder. Which brings up the third reason. I think Jesus says what he says about prayer. Prayer, like, <laughs> prayer gets work done. You know? But it, also prayer gets work done in us. Prayer is maybe the greatest work we can do uh, for our own souls. Well, prayer in the word. Um, now this is this is so wonderful. I, there's, there's a great passage in 2 Corinthians, and it doesn't say prayer, but it's about prayer. Paul says this, chapter 3, verse 18, he says, 2 Corinthians, he says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which is from the Lord. To stand in the presence of God uh, to stand in the presence of the Son of God it, and to, to gaze on him. It, it's to be changed. It's, it's to be radically changed. It's, uh, what, Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and, and, to, and to enjoy his perfections. I need to pray because I need... I need to be, be like Jesus. I need to be with him. Now, uh, I grew up in a little town east of Los Angeles, a little Baptist church. The town was called La Puente. It was a barrio when we moved in. And a uh, and, uh, little Baptist church. And uh, Pastor Earl, uh, you know, Earl was a godly man, not a, not a very great speaker. And, and frankly, and, and 
My junior high and early high school days, whenever he preached to me, he was just casting his pearls before a swine. You know, it was just, I was not paying attention. And I, that's kept me going for so, all these years of ministry when people don't pay attention. I was one of those. And uh, so, you know, I never listened to Earl. And, and my buddy and I were sitting in, you know, close to the front one morning. And it was his last sermon in that church. He was going to move to another congregation. He'd been there for several years. He was saying goodbye to us all. And again, I wasn't really paying attention until I noticed that Pastor Earl, as he spoke, started weeping. Now, I had never seen a man or woman uh, weep in public as they spoke. Uh, I have to add, I've, I've been doing it now for about 35 years. It's a, it's a terrible burden I carry. I might start crying any minute now. I don't know, but it's just that he, I, he, heard, he, he heard himself saying something. And so it got my attention, so I paid attention to what he was saying. And he said this. He was, he was quoting Luke from the, gospel, from the book of Acts, where uh, the, the apostles had been brought up before the Sanhedrin, had been ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. They had countered, and they were bold, and, and the Sanhedrin went into its chambers and started talking about how bold these men were without any education. And, and then Luke says in chapter 4, he says, and they perceived that they had been with Jesus, the men. Now, I don't know if Luke meant this, but Earl read it to us, and he said, you know, I hope that over the years I've been here, you've said to yourself once in a while, oh, Earl has been with Jesus. The best thing you have to give anyone is what happens to you because you've been with Jesus. It's not your education, it's not your gifts, your skills, your leadership ability. No, the best thing I have to give my family, and I said this to John at the other service, John, the best thing you have to give this congregation is what's happened to you in the presence of Jesus. So why is prayer so radical? Well, it makes you radical. Does. So those are my main points. I want to make sure I say one more thing. Um, and I'm going back to that night I listened to J. Edwin Orr speak to a bunch of college students. There I go. I heard stories of young people worshiping God and asking God to come down and do something unmistakably God. And I spent the next three decades praying that I would see that happen one day. Now, by the way, in those three decades, I fell away from the Lord many times. I was a, I was a real bozo. But in God's grace and mercy, I saw something happen here uh, at Hope College that was staggering and which continues to this day. Now, the people I worked with, um, we did two things mainly. Uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed. And we laughed our heads off. This is the greatest bunch of people I've ever worked with. And there's, that's another sermon. There's something to be said about friendship in ministry. I'd love to preach a sermon about that. But we prayed, and we saw God do powerful things. And, you know, we thought 
It was because we prayed. But we're only half right, because I started meeting people who had been praying for 30 and 40 years for God to do something in that college. My friends, there's something happening at Hope College and it's been going on for 25 years now that's really without parallel uh, in North America, as far as I know. Uh, but it's, it's, God has graced us. But we knew that unless the Lord built the house, our labors would be in vain. Uh, we are the heirs of the prayers of untold millions, perhaps, that have said to God, I believe your promises, would you keep your promises? And I'm here to say this morning to you all, uh, I love this place, I love this town, I love this college, and I love your pastor. And I hope you'll know why this place is so blessed. It's not that prayer in itself is so important. It's the person we pray to. He's everything. So, I'm done. <laughs> in John 17, Jesus said, uh, speaking of us, he said, I and them, he's talking to his Father, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world will know that you love them as you've loved me and that you sent me. Uh, there's this uh, radical sense of interpenetration that goes on in the Lord's table. It's, it's like it is prayer. It's taking his body and his blood, internalizing it, uh, being thankful and empowered to live the life of Christ in the world. So when you come to this table this morning and partake of these elements, um, know that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And whoever eats this bread will never hunger, and whoever drinks my blood will never thirst. Oh, Lord, come quickly. Show us your face. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.